0: Um, as it was obvious when Vicki was having people stand up that came together to make this day happen that a lot of planning goes into this and it's always an honor to be here but it's obviously a very special honor for me to be able to share in it this way with you this year. So thank you so much to all the, the women and men who have come together to make this happen. As Vicki said I have a um, story that is not linear it's not neat it's a pretty messy story that's still ongoing um, I guess I can preface it by saying that I am so thankful for this opportunity but It took a lot this week just to get to the point that I could be sitting up here, and it's all purely a testament to God and his faithfulness. So I want to say that this church, this community, has been a really big part of my support system for the last four years. My testimony is a reflection on who God is and how he's at work in this world. And one of the ways that he reaches me and he reaches us is through community. And I would argue that there's often no better place to find that than your local church. So for those of you that sit at this table of local community, you know just what I mean. But for those of you here that this feels unfamiliar, please know that there is absolutely room for you here too. I had a typical childhood. I am an only child. (laughs) Maybe not completely typical. I have heard all the jokes about how only children are supposed to turn out, and some of them are true. (laughs) Maybe that's where my feistiness comes from. I grew up in the country on a small crop farm. My hometown is Shiloh. It's about an hour and a half north of Columbus and as of the 2010 census Shiloh had a whopping population of 649 people. This did not include the dozens of Mennonite and Amish families that live in the area. Um, some days as many horse and buggies as cars went down my little country road. I went to a small school I spent lots of time playing outdoors, and I really got to have the small-town American experience. I did well in school. I loved school. (laughs) I especially loved science, biology, and chemistry. (laughs) I was fascinated from a very young age about how our bodies work. And I had an inborn need in me just to find out what it was that made us tick. (laughs) I can remember sitting down when I was just about six or seven years old and wondering why. When I thought for my arm to move, it did. (laughs) I practiced thinking about moving body parts and then moving them. And I knew, I must know someday what makes that happen. (laughs) I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, My parents were really involved in our local church. I grew up going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. (laughs) There were really very few exceptions to that, all the way through to when I left to go to college. Um, Around the time that I was figuring out about moving body parts, (laughs) I was also being taught about Jesus. My Sunday school teacher, her name is Easter Fannin, (laughs) told me in a little basement classroom in a country church how I could ask Jesus to come live in my heart and that he would guide my thoughts and that he would walk with me. And so later that same week, I knelt beside my bed, and I think there's a prayer that sometimes only a six-year-old heart can say. <laughs> um, just a really an earnest confession to God that I did believe who He was, and I did ask Him to live in my heart. And while I know now as an adult that there's no magical words <laughs> you say, I can tell you. <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt. But from that point forward, I have had a sidekick in my life, and I never thought of myself as being alone again. I began singing on stage when I was just two years old. Um, And as a teenager, I led worship, and I got to travel with a Christian singing ensemble. And these things were a really big part of my life. Nothing brought me more joy than singing with other people to Jesus and worshiping. And if I could encourage others to come along with me into that worship, um, that really brought me deep joy. I loved music. I played piano. I sang every chance I got. And I loved helping people. So naturally, I thought I knew just what God wanted me to be when I grew up both a church worship leader and a doctor. (laughs) So even in middle school, people told me that doctors needed to make really good grades. So I worked hard and even then started choosing activities that I thought would help me reach my long-term goals of entering medical school one day. (laughs) And except for a few issues in my younger years, I grew up healthy. Uh, By my junior year of high school, I was taking classes on our local college campus. My first college class was human anatomy, by the way. (laughs) And at last, my burning questions regarding moving body parts started to have some answers. (laughs) And as I got a glimpse into the incredibly complex inner workings of the human body, I began to recognize God as our creator. And I thought about how he orders every piece of us together in just such a way that we breathe and we have life. And to this day, that leaves me awestruck, and it leads me into a place of worship and a right understanding about my really small place in this great big universe. And my senior high school yearbook, everyone wished me good luck in college and medical school. And some of my friends even jokingly wrote their notes to Dr. Jennifer. (laughs) I dreamt of coming back to my 10-year reunion, where clearly I would show everybody how successful I was. And through hard work and determination, you too can reach your goals, even as a first-generation college student from the farmlands of North Central Ohio. (laughs) I went on to college. I loved my classes. I did well. I met an amazing man. Shout out to the sound booth named Kurt. (laughs) And we got married (laughs) and everything was going according to my plan. I was full of hope. (laughs) But a few months after Kurt and I got married, during my uh, senior year of college, I started to have times of really strange things happening with my body. I got so sick on my way to a weekend birthday celebration or party for myself that we had to turn around before we even got there and I came back and I was admitted to the hospital for a week. My blood pressure and heart rate were very unstable and I was so dizzy and so nauseous all the time that I just had to lay perfectly still to try to keep those symptoms at bay. I eventually started to faint after I would just be on my feet for a few minutes. And no one was really sure what was going on with me. I had a bunch of medications and various diagnoses thrown my way. And I just kind of tried to keep going through life. While there were short periods of normalcy, there were also seasons of great difficulty and overall things were deteriorating. After about a year, I was the shell of my former self. I lost a drastic amount of weight. I couldn't eat hardly any foods without becoming very ill. I couldn't drive. I passed out in the frozen food aisle of my local Kroger and friends and family started wondering why I had to cancel so many plans and not show up to gatherings. Honestly, I didn't know what to tell them. <laughs> I mean, I'd gone from being really fit, working out in the gym six days a week, being in the best shape of my life. And all of a sudden, I found myself being disabled. And having a cardiologist talk to me about maybe having to suspend my driver's license, because turns out fainting and driving are not compatible with one another. So I had so many symptoms and I could just barely finish my senior year of college. I lost hope, Um, I did finish and got those degrees but I lost hope for being competitive to apply to medical school that year so I took a job working for a local eye surgeon And I really had hoped that these health woes were just a bump in the road and my life would be back on my plan track soon. And the first year after accepting this job, I had several episodes of fainting with little or no warning. (laughs) Fainting is bad enough experience, but dealing with whatever you hit your head on on the way down is a totally different problem. I also started having bouts of severe tachycardia where my heart would just, for no reason, start beating well over 200 beats a minute. One of these episodes, Kurt rushed me to the local emergency room, and a bunch of doctors worked around me really frantically as they tried to figure out why my heart wouldn't go below 228 beats a minute. At one point, they were rushing me to a CAT scan because they thought maybe I had blood clots on my lungs. And at the age 24, I was terrified. <laughs> I looked at my husband, and through his normally very calm and bulletproof exterior, I could see that he was terrified, too. So as we're going down the aisle to the CAT scan room, I was overcome with fear. And as we turned the corner, from the hallway into the room with the CAT scan machine, I saw something very interesting. I saw Jesus beside the CAT scan machine. (laughs) Now, I will be the first to admit I had been given a lot of drugs in the hour leading up to this, including one that temporarily flatlined my heart in an effort to get it beating normally again. but rather it was a figment of my imagination or a vision from heaven. That image became affectionately known as cat scan Jesus. Cat scan Jesus was way more hippie than I had imagined. (laughs) And I knew I was going to be okay. I may laugh at the imagery, and I do, (laughs) of all of this now, but I, like the hair on my neck stands up to this day when I think about the peace that entered that room. Because you see, there was someone very real in that room that day. And that was God's presence. He had been with me since I'd said the honest prayer at age six. He was making himself known now when he knew I needed it the most. (laughs) So after that hospitalization, it became clear to my group of cardiologists I had something called dysautonomia. (laughs) There is a part of our brain and nervous system. It's called the autonomic nervous system. It controls all the automatic processes that normally work flawlessly in your body with little or no effort from you. These include things like digestion, uh, breathing, heart rate, uh, blood pressure control, things we very much take for granted because they just work until they don't. And in me, the nerve called the vagus nerve that was controlling those processes was for some reason very damaged. And the disease is chronic and degenerative, meaning that it's not likely to get better but lasts a lifetime and worsen as time goes on. So... Uh, People can develop this for a lot of different reasons, but for me, we think it's autoimmune in nature because my very first symptoms, I didn't even know that they were symptoms at the time, but looking back, started appearing after I'd had a nasty bout with college dorm mono. (laughs) And uh, I went on to develop several immune system disorders and great immune system difficulties, So after being diagnosed with something so life-changing, my hope was all but extinguished. (laughs) I thank God that I was able to become a mom. (laughs) But when my son was 14 months old, I got influenza. And something about that sent this disease into overdrive. I spent the next 10 months more or less better couch bound. I only was able to leave the house for short periods of time to go to many, many doctor appointments. I had a home health nurse um, who came to my house two to three times a week to hook me up to IV fluids. And um, I had a hard time keeping my blood pressure high enough to stay conscious, especially if I tried to stand up. And if you're in the healthcare field, I'll give you this little piece of information. Usually, after getting two pounds of IV saline, my blood pressure would rise to somewhere around 76 over 48. And that's as high as it got a lot of days. My husband helped me put on something called compression gear, which is really tight, skin-fitting garments that would help me you know, bring blood up from my lower extremities and raise my blood pressure so I could sit up and maybe potentially get out of bed. My 70-year-old dad often drove three hours round trip, three to five days a week, to come and help me look after my son. Um, while my husband was at work, my in-laws and many other people And people from our church were wonderful about helping me, and I'm thankful for that support. But my hope was gone. I was useless. I mean, I felt that way. Um, I had become withdrawn from family and friends. (laughs) And not only was my hope gone, but I was so physically miserable that despite loving my family and wanting nothing more than to have a simple life with them, I often prayed that God would just release me from my suffering. I had hoped for so many things, (laughs) acceptance to medical school, success in a career, a chance to use my love for science, to be an active mom, to be able to stand on stage and lead people in worship. And every milestone that was missed, every time I worsened instead of getting better, my hope faded. It seemed harder and harder to redeem it. And had I continued down that path, it's difficult to bring myself to consider the true possibilities of where I may be. My favorite author is a man named C.S. Lewis. He wrote great fiction stories like Chronicles of Narnia, but where his writing hits home for me is his great insights onto experiencing pain as a human. One of his quotes says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain demands attention. It is our body and our soul's way of demanding action and care. In our pain, we learn more about the character of God because our ability to care for ourselves is stripped away. In the book, um, in the Bible, in the book of 1 Samuel, we meet a woman named Hannah. Hannah was married, and she had longed and hoped for just one thing, and that was to become a mom. (laughs) Years came and went with her not being able to bear children, so her husband took a second wife to be able to have children with. So I cannot imagine Hannah's pain as the second wife happily bore children with her husband. And to make matters worse, the other wife often taunted Hannah and made fun of her for not being able to have any children. During the yearly trip that Hannah's family made to the temple, Hannah would sob and she would be so sad and so upset that she could not even eat. Her husband would say, why are you crying, Hannah? Is it because you have no sons? But Hannah, you have me, and isn't that better than 10 sons? I thought, there's a lot I could say about that right there, but I'm gonna stick to the way that scripture tells it. (laughs) So at one point, Hannah was praying, and scripture says, She was in deep anguish and crying bitterly. (laughs) Do you recognize those emotions at all? I have a spot on the floor of my bedroom closet. (laughs) It's the closet where I go and I close the doors behind me. And sometimes I literally bow face down before the Lord. And I cry out to him in my anguish and oftentimes bitterness. And the salt from my tears has left a stain on that floor. (laughs) So even though Hannah's situation and mine are different, I feel like I recognize this woman and I identify with her. So she cried so loudly um, in the temple this particular day that the priest was observing her and thought that she must be drunk. He went to her and he accused her of this and told her to throw away her wine. Hannah replied to the priest that she had not been drinking, but that she was discouraged and she was pouring out her heart to the Lord and praying out of great anguish and sorrow. The priest told her to go in peace and may the Lord grant the request that she had asked of him. Scripture goes on to say that she was no longer sad. She was able to go with her family and not be sad and to eat again. But what really stands out to me here is that nothing about Hannah's circumstances has changed. She still doesn't have a child. She still has to make a long journey home with her better-than-ten-son's husband and his gloating wife. I mean... Everything looks the same, but the Bible says that her sorrow left her and she was able to eat. And I know that the reason that happened is because what had changed was the condition of Hannah's heart. She had cried out to God and given him all the pieces, all the messy pieces, to her anguish and her bitterness, and it had changed her. So as the weeks and months and years continued for me, I was basically stripped of being able to care for myself. I had to often rely on others to do some of my both take care of my most basic needs. I cried out to God more and more, and it started with just a whisper. I would just start by whispering the name. Jesus. My cries did not sound like the battle cries of a strong warrior. My cries sounded like the weak whimpers of a sheep caught in a snare. But it turns out that God hears you regardless of how weak your cries are. Because this is the sincerity of your heart that gets his attention, not the decibels of your warrior cry. And as I said his name, I felt in my heart that he wanted me to feel hope again. (laughs) And as I thought back through ambulance rides, two-failed cardiac ablations, a mini-stroke, immune system issues, constant infections, stays in cardiac critical care, and medical bills stacked as high as the eye could see, (laughs) that there must be some things that I didn't know about hope, because looking around at my situation, I wasn't seeing it. So I began asking God what he wanted me to hope in. Romans twelve twelve says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. I started reading more and more about what the Bible says about hope. And it turns out the Bible says a lot of things about hope, even in our suffering, I would say, especially in our suffering. But I think the greatest reason for us to have hope is found in Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's a sinner? Well, a sinner here is just referring to the broken state of our relationship with God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) My hope is that despite the fact I'm flawed, I'm weak, I've made bad decisions, I've had rebellion in my heart, I've blamed God for things my own brokenness brought on me. And I've went searching in some very ungodly places for a hope that only God could provide. That could be a testimony in and of itself someday. (laughs) My hope is that in seeing me like that, God still wanted to have a relationship with me. And he knows everything about all of you sitting here. There's nothing hidden from him. And he wants to have a relationship with you. My hope, it's not tied to getting to what I asked for. (laughs) My hope's not tied to the outcome of any particular situation. It doesn't depend on my physical body improving. It doesn't even depend on my stack of medical bills shrinking. (laughs) Some of you sitting here have received the very worst news. News that confirmed the worst outcome of a situation. It is by no means what you have hoped for, but still your hope is not gone. God longs to replace our hope for things to go our way with the hope that comes from having a relationship with him and from trusting him and knowing that his plans for us are greater than the plans that we have for ourselves. And in this hope, we can find true rest because it cannot be taken away. (laughs) There's no news, no test result, no outcome that can steal or snatch this hope away from us because it is secure and firm in our relationship with Jesus. And as I learned more about God's hope for me, I found myself wanting to spend more time with him. And as I spent more time with him, my perspective began to change. I like to say that God gave me new perspectacles. Perspectacles is a totally made-up word, as I'm sure you suspected. But it signifies me being able to see life through new lenses. Now, for instance, I may complain that there is never enough hot water for everybody in my family to take a hot shower at night. My perspectives allow me to think about the 780 million people in this world with no access to clean or safe water. And then I feel downright embarrassed about the number of faucets in my home I can go get that clean water out of any time or day or night. That's what perspectives allow us to do. And perspective brings for me three things. It brings awareness, it brings compassion, and it brings contentment. And with fresh perspective, I started to see the really, really important things in life, and they were not the goals that I had planned for myself all those years ago. (laughs) You see, when I was healthy, and I could rely on all of myself uh, for all my needs, I took for granted the miraculous way that my body worked. I took sunrises and sunsets, time with my family, simple walks, or even being able to drive myself to the grocery store. I took all those things for granted. But now I saw how precious these things could be, and I started to value things in a completely new light. (laughs) And I began to have a heart of thankfulness for those things that I could do. things I could, joy, could enjoy. <laughs> and for laughter, oh, how I value laughter. <laughs> and as time has went on, I still have never went to medical school, but I have relied on my mo- knowledge of science to pour through dozens, if not hundreds, of medical journals, an effort to better understand what is happening to my body and ways to combat it. I have used that knowledge to advocate for myself, And together with my amazing doctors, we've been able to make decisions over the years with great wisdom. And I'm talking the kind of decisions where there really is no clear right answer, but there are big consequences. And in this, I've been able to meet other patients and try to help them learn how to advocate for themselves, too. God has given me a deep sense of investment for other people. For recognizing that we are each fighting hard battles, and those battles are more easily fought when we come alongside each other. It has led me to be able to connect with other women who are feeling a little lost and realizing that maybe life isn't going according to their plans either. And connecting with them, I get to hopefully point them toward the hope that is found in having that relationship with Jesus. <laughs> I did spend years as a worship leader, (laughs) Um, but my physical body no longer allows me to be able to go through the rigorous schedule of practices and multiple services in a weekend. Um, But if you go to this church and you sit anywhere even remotely close to me, (laughs) you know that I sing to God all the same, and I do not really need a microphone anyway. (laughs) God can heal. (laughs) I believe that. He does heal. That this church believes that. And while I never stop asking for that, I also recognize that God at this point has not chosen to heal my physical body. Thankfully, I'm not often bedbound to the point I was describing earlier, but my life to a large extent revolves around accommodating my body and just trying to function to the highest degree possible. I don't have a neat testimony. Mine's messy. <laughs> I'm, it's ongoing. I'm still going through it, and I praise God that I'm here today, but I have to put up A real fight and keep persevering through worsening disease. I can't control that. I must totally rely on God to do things like sit here and share my story in front of like three to four hundred people. And what God is revealing to me is that this hope is for us that are still going through it. Some of you here are suffering loss that's not gonna be replaced this side of heaven. And I want you to know that this hope is for you. Some of you are hearing about this hope for the very first time in your lives, and you might feel something stirring deep down inside of you. Please don't push that away. That's the presence of God, and he wants you to know that this hope is for you. Some of you out here have probably been mistreated Abused, and given names that no one should have to bear. This hope, it's for you. Some of you may have been blessed to have a pretty easy life so far. And despite achieving the things you thought would bring you great satisfaction in your life, you still feel an emptiness inside. This hope is for you too. It's the start of Christmas time. And it's one of the biggest images um, in our culture at Christmas is something called a nativity. And you may recognize that. It's the scene of a baby in a manger with a mom and dad looking at him lovingly and maybe a cow donkey shepherd in tow. Um, images of Christmas, they may stir up feelings in you that are not altogether joyous. And... Firstly, I want you to know that you are not alone. There are so many times, so many reasons this time of year can make us feel anxious or even flat out sad. It may be a time that's primed to steal your hope. But the nativity, that is a sign of hope. (laughs) A baby sent to earth by God so that he could have a relationship with us? This baby did not make a grand entrance into the world, not at least by human standards. No one even made room for this baby to be born, so the mom labored among the animals in their barn. The baby's life did not get much more glamorous as time went on. And although it lacked glamour, it was the single most impactful life to ever exist on our planet. Jesus' entire earthly example and existence was so that we could have a relationship with God. That brings hope to me. So when you see the nativity over the next few weeks, I encourage you to just take a deep breath and allow that hope to seep into your day and into your moment. I am so so thankful for this opportunity to share with you about who God is and how who he is has impacted and shaped my life. How joy has poured into my being because I trust him. And I trust the plans that he has for me. But I'm even more excited and more thankful because I have known for months that this day would be the beginning of some of you here finding that hope too. Would you just take a moment and close your eyes, bow your heads as Miss Vicki makes her way back to the stage.
1: So as we sit here quietly, we believe this is a God-ordained moment. I know many of you, just like myself, have lots of emotion stirring in you right now. And that emotion has been put there by our Creator, the One who created me, the One who created you, the One who created every single thing on this earth. And we don't want to miss this opportunity for those who have never done it, or maybe those who have kind of strayed away from the Lord, to just take a moment and invite Him into your very life. So if you are someone who was stirred today, and you felt something different I want to invite you to pray along with me. And you can pray quietly or if you want to pray out loud, however you felt led. If you've never prayed and invited Jesus into your life to have a relationship with him, we want to extend that invitation now. Or maybe you did years ago and you've strayed away. He's wooing you right now. He's pursuing each and every one of us here. So with your your heads bowed, your eyes closed, let's just pray. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. Father God, I just want to invite you into my life. I desire to have a relationship with you. I don't know exactly what that means fully, And I may not know exactly where I'm headed, but I trust you to take me there. I trust you to lead me there. I know I've been living my life, making my own decisions. But today I choose to lay them down and give you the power to make those decisions for me. I can feel your presence, Lord. I know you're here. And so today I say, I choose you. I need you. And I want you to be in my life. If you prayed that prayer, that's a very important decision. And with, with eyes still closed, if you're comfortable, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand more to acknowledge what God is doing here in this room? Yeah. Just, Lord, bless them. Just bless them. You can put your hands down. You can open your eyes. We, we don't gather just to gather, right? It's fun to get together during Christmas and, and to get our hearts kind of um, repositioned and envisioned for the season and why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate it because it's the time we celebrate the birth of our Savior and the Lord over our lives. And we want to share that with you if you've never had that because it's a gift available to each and every person here.